If you've brought your Bibles, uh, you could be turning there, Genesis chapter 12. And this week's message will be about the lineage of promise. And uh, of course, that just come to me. I, I had titled it The Promised Lineage. And like, well, maybe that doesn't quite make sense. It's the lineage of promise, actually, is what we'll be talking about. And again, it kind of goes with our yearly theme, or our theme that I've preached a lot on this year has been families and uh, our homes and pitfalls in the homes. And I'm here to tell you, uh, the devil is against families. I, I have never seen the day... And, and the Bible says that we would enter this time, the perilous time, where you have people, two people that say they love each other, but yet one is insistent on living like the devil and is going to be quite disagreeable. And then the other one's trying to serve the Lord and it comes to such problems that it blows up. And that's the devil for you. The devil hates anything God has instituted. And so uh, our job is to stay with the book and stay with what's right. And this morning's message, again, it's going to be on the family of God, the promised lineage of Christ. And I had done some thinking, and I'll, I'll bring this out in the message today. I don't know if you've spent any time uh, thinking about what I'm getting ready to say is uh, God sending His Son. And I don't know if you've spent the time thinking about why did God have to become man to redeem man? Have you ever thought about that? Because the Bible says that God is a spirit and He must be worshipped in spirit and truth. So before God could redeem man... God had to come as the God-man. That's right. He had to become flesh to be able to redeem the humankind. Of course, you have people with different ideals and beliefs on this. Now they're not biblical. They're anti-Christ. And so they want to tell you that Jesus was just a mere prophet no better than Muhammad or any of the other prophets that's come. And then you have other folks that say, well, Jesus was a created being and he might have died on the cross. And some would say, yeah, he did die on the cross, but he was a created being. He was not God in the flesh. And, and see, when you, when you take that or you try to believe that, and the Bible's real clear on that, anybody that says that is operating from the spirit of Antichrist. And last week we talked about that, that the devil is sending a Christ also. And I introduced that to you from Scripture. There is another Jesus. And you'll hear these people refer to their God and their way through a, a Jesus who is their mediator. But it's not the one that we know, not the one in this Bible. Back to my original thought, have you ever thought about that? God had to become flesh. And the Bible tells us that that word, there in John 1.1, was in the beginning. He's talking about Jesus because he tells you later in that chapter that the word became flesh and dwelt among men. You say, well, okay, what, 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 who, who was it? That was Jesus. 
That was Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. God manifested in the flesh. And, and the Bible says that this was a mystery. It's called the mystery of godliness, which the child of God should know something about. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, about verse 15. We, we should be familiar with that. It shouldn't shock us. But I, I've wondered, uh, I spent a little time thinking about that this week. And, and thinking about it in light of people that don't want to believe that Jesus is God or that Jesus paid the sin debt of the world. He was just a prophet. He, he was just a teacher. Uh, he was a man who did some miracles. And I think of how desolate they must feel inside. How deceived they are. God had to become flesh. Jesus had to come. There was no other way to redeem mankind but that God, who the Bible says is spirit. He was going to have to become flesh so that he can identify with mankind to give his life the blood of God, the blood of Christ. It's eternal blood. It's everlasting blood. It is priceless blood. Because that was what was going to propitiate God. And that word propitiate means to appease. Man is at enmity with God in his lost state. But God made a way because man couldn't make a way. Man couldn't redeem himself. And so this morning's message is about the lineage of promise. God choosing a family to be born in, a lineage. Now, that should begin to have your mind work just for the simple fact if the devil is against families and God is for family, you should be for family. You should be for, be for family and marriage the way this Bible says it and has it. Not in the new liberal woke way. Not in the way of the man of sin. See, another name for this other Jesus is called the man of sin. Did you ever stop to think about that? Why does the Bible call him the man of sin? I'll tell you why. That other Jesus is the man who will let you stay in your sin. There's no change. You don't have to change. You don't have to repent of nothing in your life to have the other Jesus accept you. He's called the man of sin. That means he loves your iniquity. He loves sin and debauchery because it takes you further and further from God. That right there should make you want to, if there's any substance of Christ in you, say, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be against sin too. I, I don't want to be with the man of sin. I don't want to endorse sin. I don't even want to uh, example sin in my life. I want to follow the Jesus of this Bible. And so this morning, I introduce you to the lineage of Christ. And it starts here in Genesis 12. And it's unique. And I think that this will help you not that you're struggling with a biblical worldview, but you see, we got a lot of young folks 
today. And from time to time, we need to make sure they understand what a proper biblical worldview is. We're going to uh, be introduced to a man today called Abraham. And Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He had a son, Isaac, who went on later to have Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. That's where this nation, this group of people come. And we're going to learn, and you're going to learn, there are people that hate the Jews. You're going to find out today from the Bible why. This Bible is clear to tell us that the spirit of iniquity, the spirit of Antichrist, it's been working since the time of the cross. And now we're coming into that last stage where it is, it's been unleashed upon this world. I believe that the gates of hell have been opened and these devils are roaming around. We're seeing it in the way people think and the, the acts that they do. Some of the stuff these people are doing, it, it's not human, it's demonic. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I want to help our young folks understand that it is right to have a biblical worldview and that we support the Jews. Wherefore the nation of Israel here? Christians are for the nation of Israel. But there's a devil and the devil's children that are against the Jews. And we're going to find out why. We'll begin to read here in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. And he says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Did you catch that? He had said. And the Lord, according to the Bible, if you was to, uh, if you're writing, write down Acts chapter 7, verse 2. Let me read this by way of introduction because it kind of helps orient you into the same context of mind that I am in. And this is Stephen preaching on the day that he got stoned. And he says, And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory. Notice, the God. Now they knew that, that, that word. That was the Almighty God. Okay, it's Jehovah. He says, He appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, if you're reading in Acts 7, 2, it'll say Charon. Now, that's Greek to English. In the Old Testament, it's, it's Hebrew to English, and it's Haran. Same place, just spelled a little different. And we see the Lord comes back to Abram, and he's telling Abram, now, you need to go on into this land. And God had appeared to him before he got to Haran. That means he was still in Mesopotamia, in the earth of the Chaldees. God had come down there, and you've heard me preach this before. God went down there and appeared to Abram. And I told you, it would not have surprised me if the Lord knocked on Abraham's door right down there in the earth of the Chaldees and was knocking Sharon Christ. Because Galatians tells us that he told Abram, 
He says, I'm going to give you a seed. And he says, not a seed as in many, but a seed as in Christ. That's in Galatians chapter 3. The Lord all the way over here was telling Abram, because he appeared to him. Now I added the part that he probably appeared to him when he knocked on his door, maybe appeared to him while he was out in the field and, and keeping a, a watch over his flock. Uh, he was a herdsman. Maybe he did. But what we do know for a fact is that the Lord appeared to him. And so Abram, that was his name then, God changes it later. He picks up his stuff and takes off towards the land of Canaan. But his father goes with him, Terah. And they stop there in a place called Haran. And then the Lord says that Terah dies. And then after the death of Terah, which was Abram's father, now there's different thoughts on that, saying, well, well, Terah family was holding Abram back. I, 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 I've read that and read this this week, and I can't quite get that out of this. I don't think that Terah was keeping Abram from going into the land of Canaan. I don't think he was trying to hold him back. And my, my thought, sometimes family will try to hold you back from serving God. But I do not believe that to be the case in this. Because God never brings that up. God never says anything about that. I believe that they were on that journey. And, and remember, they had flocks. They don't travel like we do today. Don't Americanize it. They had to travel by foot, and they had flocks. And have you ever tried to drive cattle and sheep? They don't always walk in a single file, and they don't always do it so how you see it on TV, you know, on Rawhide and Bonanza and those places, you know, like the cows always obey. Yeah, that's because somebody that's not on the camera has a bucket of feed, and they know that. And so, boy, they just come in there and you got these, these cowboys on horses running around. And you think, boy, they're just having a great time. It's not really like that. So it's going to take them some time. I believe and I think maybe Tara might have got sick. He was old. Might have got sick, might have got down. They didn't have hospitals like we have today. They couldn't run up to the immediate care and get them a shot of penicillin or maybe some steroids. I mean, when they got sick, and they got sick, they're going to have to slow down and stop. And I believe it was more akin to that than disobedience from Abram. Now, you can believe what you want. And if you say, well, you know, I was reading. That's fine. It's okay. But pick up on that word had there in verse 1. Said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Unto land that I will show thee. Now here's where our text begins. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. Make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Yeah, you need to pay attention to this part. This is a promise from God. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee. And here's our part. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I liked that. 
I really did. All families. Did you see that? All families. You know, today people really try to divide. You know, well, what race are you from? And, and, and we have a lot of racial divide. We're all from the same family. We're all from the same family. We can be traced back to Noah. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And I believe when you try to separate stuff up like that, it lends itself to uh, activity that discriminates against people. I like this. In thee shall all families. Yeah, we might be different families today, but, but the Lord says he's made of one blood all people. They're an axe. I like that. I, I, I like how the Lord puts that stuff. People want to miss that stuff. Now there's a reason he put it in there like that. John, the first chapter, he says... When God saves you, it doesn't matter. Let me, let me read it so we get it and then your eyes can see it because it comes to my mind. We're going to pray and then we'll get into the message. Verse 13, I'm talking about John 1 verse 13. Now watch this. And you can read verse 12 because I'm going to read verse 12. I will talk about that later in the sermon. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood. Doesn't matter what blood type you have. Doesn't matter whether you're royalty or not. Nor of the will of the flesh. That's right. Nor of the will of man, but of God. What's he saying, preacher? God's saying... He doesn't care whether you're royalty or the lowest man on the totem pole. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. And God's salvation is for everyone, for all families. God was going to bless the world through this family here. Now let us pray because that's the text. And we'll get into the message. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, we love you. And Lord... We understand today out there, but we also understand we have a duty. And, and there should be a desire in our hearts that we want to learn more about you and more about Jesus would we know. And we want to hear the old story uh, of Jesus, of Jesus and his love. And this, this is a love story of your redemptive work for mankind. Now, if there be some that are lost, maybe some that don't believe, maybe some that have grown cold on you, Lord, let this ignite that wood down in their hearts. Let it burn for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, the family is the oldest institution created by God. God is about family. I'm about family. I, I'm a strong family person. I was raised as a strong family person. I have somewhat of a conviction that 
especially had it when our children were young, that if all of us couldn't enjoy it, I wasn't running off by myself to enjoy it. Now, that didn't mean that sometimes I didn't go maybe hunting with my, by myself, but not all the times. And I find myself and had found myself doing more fishing than hunting because I could include the children. And it was something that we could enjoy together. I don't understand about people that are married that she's going to go on her own vacation, he goes on his own vacation, the children are just thrown around. We, we didn't do that growing up. Uh, my parents didn't do that going, growing up. I'm not saying if you're doing that, you're wrong. I'm just saying we didn't do that. I feel strongly about that. I feel strongly about family. Family's real. And I work and have worked and will continue to work to try to keep my family strong, keep them together. There's nothing like a newborn baby. Grandbabies are even sweeter. And I enjoy mine and another one coming. Uh, I love children. Our churches, the Bible says they're to be like a family. I believe that a lot of the mega churches today have lost that touch. So big you can't get a connection with anybody. And why people want to go to bigger churches because they can slide in and they can slide out, they can hide. So they don't have to serve. They don't have to do nothing. I have been told personally by people said, I'm not, I love you. I listen to you every week on the live stream when I come back from my church. But I'm not coming to your church because it's too small. And I know I'll have to, they've, I know I will have to do something because it's all hands on deck. I have been told that. I've been told that more than once. I've been told that multiple, multiple times. Preacher, we love you. We love the people. We love coming in. That Some of those people even refer to me to this day as their pastor. Jenny will see them out in town and say, well, how's my pastor doing? They ain't been here in 12 years. <laughs> 10 years. I've been here 12 now. <laughs> been about 10 years. They're sweet people. They're good people. But... They like those bigger churches because they can hide. I want our church to have that family connection. I want us to be able to work together as a unit. That's how God intended. God instituted the family. And it was to operate a man and a woman. Look at what the devil is doing. Look at what men that are driven by the devil are doing to the institution of marriage. Well, it could be it's whoever you love. No, it's one man and a woman. And now this thing has opened a door into Pandora's box. You've got men wanting to be women, women wanting to be men. It's a mess. Why is it a mess? Why is, is America, why have we destroyed the family unit? Because the devil hates the family. And this is one of the reasons the devil hates the family. is because he knew God was going to be born into a family. He knew that. The devil knows that God wants to bless the world through the family. 
And so, as we see in our text, the world was to be blessed in families. Amen. That's what he says. In thee shall all families. He was going to have a family be a blessing to families. For the family is the first of all relationships. Amen. <laughs> uh, I've learned some lessons over the year the hard way. If you can't get along with your family, you got issues. And what I mean by that is husbands and wives, and I've had this, um, don't take that the wrong way. You let the Holy Spirit work that over. What? Let's follow me through. I hit a snag there. And it's because you took it the wrong way. <laughs> the devil. People come in over, over the years. Let me get back to my original thoughts. And I'll try to use them. But they can't get along with their own spouse. And here's what the Lord taught me. If they're not right in the home, they're not going to be right in God's home. If they're not going to act right in their home, they're not going to act right in the house of God. And therefore, they're not a candidate to be put into a position of leadership. They will do harm. Sometimes I see people that are in conflict, not only in their home, but at work. It's a no-brainer. They're going to come into conflict at church. Why is that? Well, it's the first of all relationships. Children, see, we're back on the home, and I didn't intend to say all that, but we're going to. We're coming through there. As I asked the Lord to get in the message, I just got some things scribbled down. They're typed in here, but back there they're scribbled down. You see, we're to teach our children how to get along with one another, how to, how to act corporately, how to conduct themselves around themselves so that they know how to act when they get into public. A lot of kids today don't know how to act when they get into public. You don't want to know why? Because there's a breakdown in the first of all relationships, which is the home. That's where the breakdown is. The most lasting of all institutions and the best representative of the love of God. Now are you starting to see it why the devil would want to destroy families? Because a family working together that loves its, each other is a testament to the love of God. When you spouses get along with each other, I'm not saying you always agree with each other. Could you imagine trying to live with me? Uh, I could see some of y'all looking like, hmm, that's right. Now you know what Jen has to put up with. Doesn't mean you always agree with each other. But, and we had one of those conversations this morning, didn't we? Yeah. You've been married 33 years, gone on 34 years. There'll be things that you know about the other individual that just not on your top list of things you like. But I was make sure to tell her, I really don't care about those things. I love her anyway. I love her unconditionally. And, oh, I'm not going to let her preacher testify because she would tell you a lot of things about me. See, this is my time. <laughs> yeah. And there'll be things about me 
that might annoy her. I know there are. <laughs> but she loves me in spite of that. You know, that's called an unconditional love, and that's the love that God has for us. Many times we're not what we should be. Many times we don't do what we should do, but God says, I'm overlooking that. I love you anyway. And family represents that. That's why the devil hates it so. That's why the devil wants to destroy that. He wants to erase that. And so we see that God chooses Abram. Abraham is how I'll refer to him, but Abram, if you're looking at this, God had not changed his name yet. And I'm going to give you three simple things this morning. Number one, God instituted the family. We've been talking about that. The family is important to God. Satan hates our families. I knew, preaching on the homes when I started this year, that the devil would retaliate. And he has. He has. I was hoping to sound the alarm about pitfalls in the home and how to live for the other spouse and how to, to uh, grow and, and be a, a relationship builder, not a relationship destroyer in the home. But the devil, hmm, boy, he's a lion, a devouring lion. And one thing about lions is they don't have mercy. So Satan hates the family. Families are under attack today. Abraham's family is under attack today. As we speak, there is war. There is people, and the list is growing by the day that want the annihilation of Israel. Now, why is that? Oh, let me give you a thought that I wrote down. You see... To be anti-Jew is to be anti-Christ. Think about that. To be anti-Jew is to be anti-Christ. Jesus was a Jew. Your Bible was written by Jews. The very oracles of God that you hold in your hand this morning had Jewish authors for penmen. That God spoke to them and they penned the words of God. To be anti-Jew is to be anti-Christ. And to be anti-Jew and anti-Christ, listen, is to be anti-Christian. It's only a matter of time before what you see marching on these campuses and in the streets are going to turn their guns on the church. I'm not talking about the liberal church. I'm talking about God's saints, who God, if you're born again, has made part of this family. You think about that. To be anti-Jew is to be anti-Christ. Jesus was a Jew. What about wanting to condemn the nation of Israel for defending themselves but not say a word against the Hamas butchers? that want the destruction 
of Israel, or Hezbollah, or Iran, or any of the other ones that escape my mind. Got the Houthis, Yemen, they're all against them. And the Bible says, as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, all nations will end up turning against Israel. Why? Because the devil will convince them to be anti-Jew because he ultimately wants them to be anti-Christ. You can't accept the devil's Christ until you have rejected God's Christ. And with that, they'll be against Christians. That's why so many Christians are going to lose their lives in the tribulation. I'm not talking about anybody saved today. When we get raptured out of here, there's still going to be people that get saved after the rapture. Not everybody's buying in to the Antichrist and the one world government, one world order, one world religion. Not everybody buys into that. Those people are going to be just as smart as you are. You wouldn't readily buy into that either. But we're going to get raptured out. And then there's going to be people still listening to messages like today. That's why I'm, I'm clear to say that we need to be for Israel. It's God's chosen family. God chose to come through this lineage. He instituted the family. He needed a family. See, this is the lineage of Christ. The Jews are God's chosen people. Satan hates what God loves. You can mark that down, folks. Don't try to make friends with the devil. The devil is a liar. I told you last week why Christ never questioned the serpent. He already knew he was a liar. He told you he was a liar there in Matthew. He says, every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And by the way, you could tell somebody 100% accurate information words, but twist the context and it'd be a lie. It's done all the time. You ever dealt with somebody like that? But you said, yeah, I did say those words, but not in that context. What is that? Oh, that's a lie. And the devil will lie. That's why the Lord never questioned the serpent. He just started passing judgment. Satan hates what God loves. Satan hates the Jews today. This is why this thing's growing. It's not going away. It's going to get worse. Satan hates families. The problems we're seeing in our families, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. Satan hates the church. There's lots of churches closing their doors. Some of them can't get pastors. A lot of them. I was in a meeting Friday night, and there's, there's numerous Bible-believing churches in this area. They can't even get a pastor. It's getting worse. Because the Satan is our adversary. God chooses and chose a family. God separated Abram. That's what he says there in verse 1. God wants our family separated from the world. Let, us, let me give you a little something. Look at God's order. I want you to see this. I emphasized this when I was reading it. In verse 2, I will bless thee. Personal, singular. I will make thee 
a great nation, and then I will bless others through thee. I thought about this this week. You know, great people make great marriages. Great marriages or great families, is what I meant to say, make great nations. Our church is only as strong as our families. The devil hates family. He hates God's family. And then lastly, God blesses the family. God here promises to bless the families of the earth through this family. You know, this blessing that he's talking about, according to Galatians 3, probably should read it, is Jesus. Let me show you what God, and this is why you need Scripture to interpret Scripture. You might not have got all that just from Genesis 12, but in Galatians chapter 3, because we're later in time and God works with something called a progressive revelation. Man is now ready for this enlightenment. Look what Christ says here in the book of Galatians, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's how we got in. We got in from that word. He says, I'll bless all the families of the earth. That, that includes us Gentiles. He says that they might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereunto. Now to Abraham and his seed, singular, were the promises made. And he saith, he tells you why he made it singular, not and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. All that right there in Genesis 12. But we'd have never known had we not had Galatians. You see, God has chosen to bless all the families in the world today through Jesus Christ who come through the family of Abraham. God chose a family. It was, uh, it was a promised lineage. Romans, in the doctrinal part of Romans, says that when we get saved, we're made partakers of that family. Children of Abraham. God wants to bless the whole world. They just need to accept Christ. But yet we got a world that predominantly hates Christ. You say, you don't know that. If they hate the Jew, they hate Jesus. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have tried to convince me they were saved down through the years that hated Jews. And I'll tell you straight up, no, they weren't. Because when God saves you, you're going to love his chosen people. You're going to love his family. And God chose a physical family, this family here. Jesus has a family tree, a lineage. And this gets me to the part, the message that I've already told you about, but I'll repeat it 
in order for God to redeem the human race, He had to become flesh. Because God's a spirit, remember? Must be worshipped in spirit and truth. So how is God to redeem man? Well, through God the Son, Jesus, the God-man. Manifested in the flesh, God manifested in the flesh, which would be Jesus. The Word become flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. I thought about that phrase. The only begotten of the Father. Why would He throw that in there? I'll tell you why. Sometimes I'll get a question. and Maybe you've had this question. How many times has God died? Has Jesus had to die on other galaxies? Is there life on other planets? Is, is, there, is there other people in, other, in another part of the universe? Not according to that verse. He's the only begotten. One time. One Savior. <laughs> that little phrase answers a lot of questions, don't it? We just don't pay attention when we read. There's a lot to meditate on in these words. He's the only begotten. He only had one, one son. That's Jesus Christ, who he said he would bless all the families of the world. He needed a family lineage, the family of Abraham, to redeem and save mankind. That's the one he chose. I'm glad he did. I'm glad there was a man called Abraham willing to leave everything he knew, the Ur of the Chaldees, and to go into a land he had never seen, searching for a city whose maker was God. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about that. And down through time, Christ, born of that lineage. A lot of interesting characters and people in the lineage of Christ, King David, one being one of them, Rahab the harlot, Uriah the Hittite. You see, this morning God wants you in His family today. That's what this is about. This is about Jesus wanting to bless you, to bless me, to bless the world through Christ. The Bible says in John 1.11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He come to His very family, and they rejected Him. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. You see, God's family is a great family. God's Family is a blessed family. That's what he said here. And God's family is a great nation. He's speaking literally, talking about the Jews, but he's also talking spiritually. I'll give you a verse that the Apostle Peter pens in 1 Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation. He's talking to you and I. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a peculiar people. See how he's got all of it in there? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has a family. God wants you in his family. God wants to bless you through this family. But you're going to have to accept Christ. You're going to have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God chose to do it. What's he say there in Romans 5, 8? But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commended means put forth. God says, because he's a man of action, I love you. And he sent his son, act of service. God's primary love language is an act of service, is what it is. First John 5, he tells you that. Where do you think we got our love languages? We're made in the image of God. God has a love language. He can speak all five of them, but his primary is act of service. And that's how he chooses to respond to us. He commended his son toward us. You want to be part of the family of God today? You want to be blessed? You want to have a blessed family? It's going to take Christ. It's the only way. You need Jesus. You need Christ. Not only do you need Him personally, you need Him in your family. And we need Him in our church. So we can have a blessed church. The lineage of promise. This is part of the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart every word. This is part of it. The promised lineage of Christ. To be anti-Jew is to be anti-Christ. And to be anti-Christ is to be anti-Christian. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But you need to know why you believe what you believe and why Jesus is precious. And he wants to bless us. Let's all stand this morning, please, quickly.